Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio. It is our mission to worship and follow Jesus as we love and serve in his name. Come see us sometime at 1030 on a Sunday morning or while we feed the community at the Bread of Life Cafe each Wednesday evening at 530 p.m. We hope that the following message inspires you in some way today. Um... I want to start by this morning to see if you've ever had this experience. Um, you're at a state campground for the weekend. You're hoping to get away to be in nature. Um, and you want to really be able to hear sounds like this, right? Like birds and stuff. You want to hear birds, right? But you get to your campsite. And all of a sudden, you hear uh, this. Where is it at? Oh, sorry. You hear this. Stop. Please, stop. And that is the problem with dogs, uh, right there. Um, so that is the problem with dogs, is that bark. Um, and never will you hear a dog owner say, hey, can you please bark some more? Your, your bark is just so, it's soothing. It's soothing. Could you please bark some more? In other words, actually, actually, all I hear a dog owner say is, quiet, stop. Um, now, most days, my crusade against dogs on planes and in restaurants uh, can feel like a lonely and futile enterprise at times. This morning, however, I find renewed inspiration uh, in the opening verses of Philippians 3. As Paul issues his own warning about dogs, and not only does he do that, he takes it a step further. Evildoers. <laughs> dogs are evil. So it's, 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 a big, it's, a, it's a leap. It's a leap. But I think we can make it. Uh, now, in all seriousness, uh, I think it's important to identify who the dogs are uh, that Paul is speaking of. Uh, who are these dogs? Uh, that Paul uh, feels represent a significant threat uh, to the Philippian church. Uh, Known in academic circles as Judaizers, uh, the dogs to whom Paul is talking about uh, represented a particular faction of Jews uh, immediately following Christ's uh, resurrection, uh, who preached with great zeal as to the necessity for all believers, regardless of whether they were Jewish or Gentile, to obey the law of Moses. And of all the laws and rituals uh, of, in the law of Moses, uh, it appears that the Judaizers were particularly insistent upon um, adhering to the practice of circumcision. And when God first uh, instituted this ritual uh, in Genesis 17, it was intended 
uh, to serve as an outward sign of the internal purification uh, so that the love of God might dwell in their hearts. Uh, That was the original design for circumcision. Uh, By the time of Philippians 3, however, uh, this ritual no longer purported any evidence of one's love uh, for God. Rather uh, than a sign of God's grace, uh, Pharisees and Judaizers alike uh, fashioned this rite of circumcision into a symbol of pride in their own obedience to God. And though the behavior of Pharisees and Judaizers can seem ridiculous to us at times, uh, I think an expanded understanding of their intentions uh, reveals that there are times, I think, when we can share uh, more similarities with them than we might care to admit. And uh, I think there's two important realities uh, when it comes to understanding the intentions of Pharisees and Judaizers. And first, I think like us, they possess a sincere desire to achieve the highest possible standard when it came to honoring uh, God and his word. And again, I feel like that's our goal, right? We want to achieve the highest standard of uh, obedience and honor to God and his word. And second, uh, they derive their rules uh, based on a rigorous study of scripture. And again, I think we're committed to that here. Uh, to studying the Bible in depth, to getting to know every word. Um, And consequently, I think it's easy for us now to see why new believers in the Philippian church might have been enticed uh, by the preaching of the Judaizers, who were promoting laws and rituals uh, that offered to give them blessings of identity, um, of assurance, and promises uh, contained in the sacred text of Scripture. And yet, despite their intentions, unfortunately, uh, Pharisees and Judaizers had positioned the law as the foundation of human righteousness. And this is what causes Paul to cry out, beware, uh, having made human righteousness the foundation of uh, salvation, really. Um, Now, Paul aims to combat this dangerous teaching by saying in verse 3 of Philippians 3, For it is we who are the circumcision, and we who uh, serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, as Paul has made clear um, in uh, verses like Romans 4, uh, Paul never wavered uh, from his belief that the covenant with Abraham, who believed in God, and whose faith was accounted as righteousness, was still in effect. Uh, Moreover, uh, Paul understood the law of Moses as holy and of God, meant to teach fully, uh, to restrain completely, and to expose sin clearly. That was the purpose of the law of Moses. Uh, However, Paul will not be silent when Judaizers insist upon upholding the law in addition to Christ. Uh, To Paul, Christ plus anything, Christ plus angels, Christ plus Moses, Christ plus circumcision, is what stirred Paul to speak out boldly. Because in Paul's mind, Christ himself is enough. It's all we need, is Christ. We don't need Christ plus, we don't need Christ 2.0, we don't need Christ 3.0. Christ himself is enough. 
And this is what rouses Paul's um, uh, zeal. Because according to Paul in uh, Galatians 2, uh, the law was never intended to be and is not the means by which one stands acceptable before God. That was never the point of the law. And it is not now the point of the law. Uh, Rather, Paul says, it is Christ who makes us presentable to God. And consequently, Paul pushes back against anyone who would annul the grace of God by affirming justification through the law. When he says in verse 21 of Galatians 2, I do not set aside the grace of God. For For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So instead of uh, uh, being viewed as an attack against the tenets of Judaism and those who practice it, uh, Paul's disregard for the flesh in Philippians 3 uh, serves as a powerful declaration that salvation does not rest with us, but with God. And while while some may feel uh, they must speak of the past only in terms of of um, regret, um, revulsion, or disdain to validate their conversion, Paul actually expresses a fondness for his past in Philippians 3. Uh, In uh, verses 4 through 6, Paul reminds us that prior to encountering Christ, he already had a life that was the envy of any Jewish male in the ancient world. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, born of Hebrews, a Pharisee, and again, for somebody wanting to reach uh, the pinnacle of the Jewish structure at that time, a persecutor of the church. I mean, that was one of the highest honors you could have um, if you believed in that logic um, at that time. So, Considering his deep appreciation for Judaism and having reached the pinnacle of Jewish society, Paul's uh, subsequent words uh, come as a complete shock. Here is a guy who has elevated himself to the highest rung possible. And then, in verse 7, he says this, But what were ever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is, strong, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Um, In this powerful uh, testimony, Paul declines to give a negative description of his past life while extolling the virtues of his new life in Christ. Because oftentimes, uh, testimonies that uh, list all of the sins, all of the empty aspirations, all of the fractured relationships or disgusting habits uh, that were discarded at their conversion, sometimes. And while such testimonies are sincere and impactful, they can appear at times to comprehend uh, Christ's immeasurable worth only in comparison to the worst in one's life. Paul's intention, however, 
is to not discard junk to gain Christ, but rather to throw away that which was of tremendous value to him to, to gain Christ. So when Paul uses the term garbage uh, to describe those treasured possessions of his past, he does not mean to say that Judaism itself is a worthless piece of garbage of no intrinsic value. Rather, Paul make, wants to make clear that the worth of his consuming, vi- consuming desire to know Christ, to be in Jesus Christ, surpasses not only the worst in one's life, but also the best in one's life. And accordingly, uh, I think Philippians 3 uh, cautions against two common uh, perceptions of Christianity at times. Uh, first, uh, there are those who view Christianity as simply the better option because it will help them to improve their station, uh, give them peace of mind, or inherit uh, the prospects of eternity. However, I think Paul's witness to the surpassing worth of life in Christ would have us abandon any effort to advance our position through a righteousness of our own, but instead trust solely in the grace of God. That's why I come to Christianity. Not to advance myself, but again, to put my hands, myself in the hands and in the grace of God. Second, again, there are those who only see the past as negative, as a failure in every way. Uh, and though many Christians have, uh, by mean, uh, have come from, you know, wasted opportunities, debased values, economic ruin, or inner turmoil, again, this is not the case in Philippians 3. Uh, The Paul of Philippians 3 does not come to Christ out of some deep depression uh, resulting from the discovery of a flaw in himself, but instead as a result of the realization that even the best life on earth does not compare to life in Christ. But what does it mean to gain Christ and be found in him? What are the ramifications of subscribing to Paul's mentality uh, in Philippians 1, where he says to live as Christ? Well, perhaps we should start by um, setting Paul's testimony in Philippians 3 along his uh, reciting of the Christ hymn in Philippians 2 and see what is all entailed in deciding to identify fully with and live completely for Christ. When we do this, I think we find two important characteristics of a life that identifies with and lives for Christ. And first, uh, Paul and Christ both are willing to relinquish their claims to glory to which they were entitled. Both Christ and Paul were entitled to fame, power, authority. uh, It was all theirs, and yet they both gave it up for the sake of obedience um, and service. And then second, Christ and Paul both were agreeable to achieve unity through loss, suffering, and death. Uh, We find both of these in what it means to live with and for Christ. Both a giving up and a coming together. When we compare uh, Paul's testimony with Christ's uh, story. And as we can see, uh, Christ's story and Paul's story are almost the same. Uh, For just as Paul did not merely sacrifice 
the base appetites of a pagan's lifestyle to know Christ, but instead gave up position and prestige that came with being a Pharisee. So Christ uh, did not relinquish uh, some lowly hamlet, some um, menial job, um, some, some uh, slave's life, uh, but instead gave up all claims to equality with God in exchange for obedient service. And with this in mind, uh, we begin to see the reason why Paul lays out his story immediately after uh, telling Christ's story. For Paul wants to make clear, uh, as he possibly can, that unlike the Judaizers, those with the mentality in Christ have no interest in pursuing a path of self-improvement or uh, upward advancement uh, religiously. If that were the case, then by all means, uh, we should listen to the Judaizers, uh, for there is much to be gained in what they offer. However, uh, should the in-Christ attitude prevail, then like Christ and Paul, we ought to give ourselves up to God in total trust, having no claims, seeking no advantage, in service to one another, and again, leaving our status before God entirely in his hands. As for Paul, uh, he makes it known that he will not join the Judaizers in their climb up the social and religious ladders, but instead uh, will follow Christ down into the desperate places most in need of resurrection power. To this end, Paul declares in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, obtaining resurrection uh, from the dead. By beginning with resurrection in verse 10, I think Paul recognizes the ways in which the benefits of Christ's resurrection can be experienced in the present life of a believer. Because Christ was raised from the dead, uh, Romans 6 proclaims new life is possible here and now uh, to those who died of sin. Because Christ was raised from the dead, uh, Romans 8 declares that at this very moment, Christ is at work interceding on, be on behalf of those who trust in him. And because Christ was raised from the dead, Philippians 3.10 proclaims that the power contained in the resurrection stands ready not only to aid Paul in carrying out his ministry or help the Philippians endure terrible adversity, but to strengthen us here in 2022 as we do our best to overcome the violence and hate consuming our world with the unconditional love of Christ. Then by ending uh, with resurrection, in verse 11, Paul directs our attention to the objectives uh, that we eagerly await to see completed. And in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he elaborates on this unfinished work uh, that he and all believers hope to participate in uh, when he says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. Uh, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, and perishable, and we will be changed. For the, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And I think before we dismiss Paul as an impractical idealist or a starry-eyed romantic, I think we should uh, first consider the unfiltered reality that he references in between the present and future benefits of Christ's resurrection. For in between these bookends of resurrection, Paul does not disguise the fact that knowing Christ implies sharing in Christ's suffering. That becoming like Christ means that someday, too, we must succumb to death. There's no escaping that. And at first glance, I think this unfiltered reality uh, can be unsettling. However, if there's anything redemptive about communal suffering, then it is the empathy and compassion that arises anytime people suffer together. According to Hebrews 2, it was for the sake of empathy and compassion in communal suffering that Christ became like us. When it says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In the same way, it was by comprehending Christ's suffering that Paul understood his own suffering. And once he discerned purpose in his own suffering, Paul then could then see the purpose of Christ's suffering. And so it is with us. Uh, for uh, where do widows and widow- widowers get the words and the energy to comfort other widows and widowers? I suspect it comes from knowing what it's like to have difficulty sleeping and eating for months on end. Uh, why is it um, that I could understand the expressions uh, in Vic and Pam Taylor's face uh, when, when they lost Tice? It's because I've seen that look before. Um, How is it that me and Jean can feel each other's pain without saying a word? It's because both of us are still waiting uh, for our best friend to walk through the door. And I think it's also important uh, that we acknowledge that our suffering is prone to make us more angry than compassionate in moments when we, des- when we decide to suffer alone. Uh, our grief will cause us to experience more apathy than empathy in instances when we choose to grieve in isolation. And so, um, to the angry, uh, wherever they live, the central church The central church asks, will you let us suffer with you? To the apathetic, wherever they reside, the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, asks, will you allow me to grieve with you? Uh, For if um, I think Philippians 3 teaches us anything about a life intent on knowing Christ, is that it does not make allowances for holding back or keeping out, but instead looks for opportunities to give and to share. 
Uh, thanks be to God that Christ did not hold back his compassion when he was betrayed and arrested. Uh, thanks be to God that Christ did not keep us out of his mercy when he was beaten and crucified. How astounded are we that Christ would give, up, give his body so that we might come to know his love. How amazing is it uh, that Christ would share his blood so that we could come to know his grace. And in thinking about this, uh, this question came to mind. And again, I think this is a question that life groups can discuss uh, for the rest of the year, really. And the question is this. If the Lord of creation, the name above all names, is willing to pour himself out for our sake, and I think we all agree with this first part, right? That's what happened. We, we, we are in agreement on that. Then, as his disciples, are we not obligated to do the same for each other? And I think this is a very good question for us to think about through the rest of 2022. That if Christ was willing to do it for us, we should be able and willing to do it for each other. Because if we haven't realized it by now, uh, the 2020s are not a moment for holding back or keeping out. Nor are they a time for every man for himself or to each his own. Uh, no. Now is the time for Christian brothers and sisters to give whatever time and energy and resources necessary so that others can know the gospel. Uh, now is the moment uh, for Christian sons and daughters to share all of their griefs and heartaches so that others can know they are not alone. For I am convinced that there exists a fixed ratio between our knowledge of Christ and each other and our capacity to give and to share. I am certain the more time and energy and resources we give to the work of the gospel, the more of Christ we will come to know. I am confident the more fears, doubts, and hurts we share with each other, the more we will come to learn and know about each other. Um, so, in closing... I uh, pray this week that the message of Philippians 3 reveals to us the source of true righteousness, real value, and genuine power. And may we come to realize that true righteousness arises not out of human addition or promotion, but rather divine sacrifice and submission. May we come to understand that real value does not come from either accumulating garbage or collecting treasures, but from a life in Christ. And finally, may we come to recognize that genuine power does not come through the power of hoarding or stockpiling, or I keep for myself, uh, to myself, for myself, away from you, so that I can somehow have an advantage over anyone else. But, as Christ uh, showed us on the cross so dramatically, the genuine power comes through the power of sharing.
And so uh, this morning, um, if this has been a season where you've been holding back, uh, keeping others out, um, this is a time uh, to where we can put an end to that. Uh, because just because we've been doing something a certain way doesn't mean we had to keep doing it. Um, so as uh, Brooklyn 